You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast, Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm joined as usual usual by David Leach from ITK. How are you, David? I'm well, thanks, Giles. I trust you're well and I trust all our listeners well, uh, are well also. And hello to our special guest. Oops, we don't have a special guest this week, Giles. It's just you and me. Well, we are each other's special guests, I guess you could say. Um, look, this is the last webcast of the year, David, and so we're going to have a bit of a review of 2017 and a bit of a look forward to 2018. But... I did actually just go back on the website and have a look at the past webcasts, and we've been doing this for almost a year now. Do you realise that this is our 40th Energy Insiders podcast? My goodness me, and it still sounds as fresh and as new as the first one we did. <laughs> Indeed, and look, um, um, we sort of went solo for the first bit, and um, but then we got a couple of sponsors on board, so I would like to um, thank Solaray Energy for being our very first sponsor, and also Watt Watchers for climbing on board, and they've both told us they'll be back in 2018, so that's fantastic news, and thanks very much to them. Three cheers for sponsors. They certainly help to keep the industry going. They do indeed. Now, look, let's have a look at 2017. I guess you could say it was a year of high and lows, to use the old um, cliche. But look, probably a bit more, a few more highs than lows, really, because technology marched, marched on, and despite some hiccups with the policy and the politics, um, couldn't really slow them down too much. Look, if you'd asked me before the game started, would I have settled for this scoreline? The answer is yes, Giles. I, I, I would have. <laughs> We'd have taken it in a heartbeat. Let's let's run through some of the pluses. About four or five gigawatts of new utility renewables, including uh, two over two gigawatts of uh, utility solar, which we hadn't seen any of really before. Absolutely, uh, the big year of the year of big solar finally came. Uh, close to a record year for behind-the-meter installations and still going strong at the end of the year. It will be a record. Uh, appointment of Audrey Zebelman. Whoever, whoever appointed, organised for Audrey to get the job, des- that, that unknown person or committee deserves a fantastic credit. Yeah, now look, that's really true too, and I absolutely agree with that. And I think um, she's been quite a big change to not just the culture of that organisation, but also just changing the debate generally in Australia. And while we're talking about management, we saw the uh, CEO of the uh, Minerals Council basically get moved on by BHP, which is still getting antsy about the uh, anti-renewables stance or anti-climate change stance. So I I see that as a very big positive. Yes, indeed. It'll be interesting to see what or if um, that flows through to the the politics of it all, because I guess you could say that the Minerals Council was pushing behind a lot of the Conservatives. um, And and let's, let's let's be realistic here a lot of the policy hiccups that we've had have been designed solely to cater for that right wing of the coalition um, who refused to countenance um, any sort of progressive policy at all so let's see how that turns out look we could spend a whole podcast just talking about the changing attitude of big business and i'm just going to mention here that uh, national australia banks uh, uh, 50% by 2025 renewables commitment and the, the bank's attitude towards lending. But the next thing I wanted to get on to, let's uh, just, to coal projects. Now, Sorry, let's, just, let's just throw in there, um, while we're talking about corporates, the fact that Sun Metals signed up for a solar farm, Telstra signed up for a solar farm, Wyala um, signed up for one gigawatts of solar and storage if you can actually manage that in demand management. And according to Westpac in the story we had last week, there are about 20 big corporate players out there con- currently 
tendering for large-scale wind or solar projects. So that is definitely a development. Uh, we've got a 100 megawatt battery up and running within 12 months in South Australia that's already proving its worth in frequency control, uh, its true role in life, uh, something that I, I think most people still don't understand. No, look, that's right. And look, it's largely being a bit sort of showing off. It's sort of, you know, like a sort of a prancing, dancing little machine at the moment, but sort of showing us, showing us what it can do. The, the rules haven't actually caught up with the technology, and I guess that's a big sign about how slow the rule makers have been. But look, it's certainly a very exciting development. Um, something that came out pretty much out of that um, load shedding that happened in February, and then it led to those billionaire tweets, and then it led to a promise by Elon Musk, and then it led to a tender, and now we've got the battery, and um, in 2018 we'll get a lot more. It goes to show that in markets, bad news can be good news and vice versa, and that's something you often want to remember. And then finally, on my list of positives, before we get on to the negatives, we had the confirmed Andy Vezzi stuck to his guns, AGL stuck to their guns and the board there, and confirmed that they're going to close Liddell in 2022. And uh, there was the actual closure of Hazelwood in March. And hey, the lights are still on, just. Just indeed, yes, but they are. Um, yeah, no, look, that's fantastic. And I think that AGL has actually served to sort of also try and change the um, try and change the dialogue around what's possible. Um, and certainly the idea that um, you can keep a coal-fired generator on, going on and on and on, um, is perfectly ridiculous and quite absurd. Because I think as the... Um, what was the, is the Energy Security Board sort of state of the play report that came out this week basically talked about if you're really looking after reliability and affordability and emissions reductions, then we're not going to get any of those three with that sort of technology and we're certainly not getting them out of the NEM at the moment. So we should get on to the negatives and I'm going to let you uh, oh, uh, no, suggest the negatives. But Charles, I'll just... Go on. No, I just want to put in a few more positives actually. Yeah. Yes, um, just on the international scale, um, just the falling cost of solar. Um, we just saw some fantastic bidding coming down in Mexico, Chile and Saudi Arabia um, and also in Austin, Texas um, just last week. So the price of solar now in those countries, which granted have cheap labour costs and cheap costs of capital, um, is down below two cents a kilowatt hour. Martin Green, the United, United, the UNS, the University of New South Wales professor and leading solar researcher, is talking about one cent a kilowatt hour um, tenders being um, achieved in the next couple of years, and then following that being sort of quite widespread across the world. So um, that just goes to show about the um, the plunging cost of the technology continuing. And it was pretty interesting this week, actually, just to see Arena start a tender for hydrogen um, technology, talking about that the next big export for Australia is going to be renewable energy in the form of hydrogen or ammonia or some other transportable fuel or transportable mechanism. And that goes pretty much to what people like Ross Garneau and Oliver Yates and others have been saying for a while. Yeah, and we saw, I thought I read about 35 mega, Canadian dollars a megawatt hour for wind in Canada, uh, a new low, which was interesting. And I just want to point out here that a lot of that stuff was done under the equivalent of reverse auctions uh, and essentially uh, very credible off-takers. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why you're able to get that low cost of capital. And we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, no, no, I couldn't agree more. Let's go on to some of the negatives of the year. And I guess we could probably well, start... Well, I'd like to start with you the, start. the first negative, just one, because this is your list, but I want to just start with the fact that I need a new pair of glasses because there's too many reports being written. But go on. <laughs> 
Well, look, that's all right. And, and, and look, a lot of them have come out this week. I mean, I don't know how many I haven't actually bothered looking at yet because um, it's coming out with the pre-Christmas dirty washing. and Some of it's clean washing, but most of it's dirty washing. Um, look, I guess just look, the lack of policy um, development at the federal level. We can be thankful that the Queenslanders re-elected the Queensland government and let's hope that the South Australians don't do anything too radical next March. Um, but on the federal le policy level, well, basically, no steps forward and, if anything, one step backwards. Yeah, look, the neg. How aptly named is it, really? Well, it is because it was just basically a thought bubble that was dreamt up because they couldn't dare pass push the um, clean energy target um, past the um, past the Conservatives. I mean, let's go back to the start of the year. We were waiting for a policy review by Alan Finkel, and here we are a year later waiting for a further policy review by the Energy Security Board this time. Yes, well, at least Finkel knew what he was talking about. I'm not yet convinced the Energy Security Board does. But to be quite honest, I actually think it's just a mouthpiece for John Pearce at the AEMC, if I can be totally frank. Yes, no, you had an interesting article this week, actually, about the sort of the um, the split between AEMC and AEMO. Um, and this goes back to Audrey Zieberman looking forward, looking to the future, looking to see what's possible. And yet we have the AEMC, whose language seems to be full of, you know, let's worry about a blackout, let's have dispatchable baseload and other things. And just really not looking forward at all. Well, that, that's right. And look, the, the, I guess my complaint is that we don't need to have an energy, in my opinion. We, uh, whatever your climate target is, and my complaint is that the, the actual real problem in Australia at the moment, as we look forward, if you talk about security and reliability, is the fact that we've just got a few coal-fired generators that are going to be very old. But three of them will be over 50 years old, three of the, uh, in, in 2030, and statistically less than 1% of generators over, are, around the world are over 50 years old. So it just seems statistically likely that some more of them are going to go away. We need the new investment that, to replace those ones that are really old, plus increasingly some of the ones that are less old. And I just simply don't see how the energy policies take this physical reliability problem into account. No, look, that's exactly right. And um, one of the best summations, actually, of the um, of the policy environment um, during the year, um, um, the, the late John Clark and Brian Dore actually did this wonderful little video. Um, you and I have been working in the electricity industry, well, you for certainly a lot longer than me, sort of observing it as an analyst for a major investment bank and me as a journalist for about 10 years. John Clark and Brian Dore did this wonderful summary in two minutes and just absolutely nailed it. And I would recommend that if you hadn't actually seen it, um, go and find it because it was one of the top rating stories on our website over the year. I guess on the other negatives, we'd have to look internationally at, at, at Trump and Scott Pruitt. And, but I mean, they're such obvious bad boys, they hardly seem worth mentioning, do they really? Well, they do. And look, it's not, no, well, yes, yes and no. I mean, look, it's, it's unbelievably cynical what's happening over there. And basically, if you can find someone who really hates the department, he's just about to be appointed, then appoint him and make him, make him in charge of it. It's just extraordinary. Um, but I think, um, once again, it's the march of technology. I think you can try and slow it down. You can create... You can create sort of hurdles for it and you can possibly fill the pockets of the incumbents a little more, but um, it's not going to stop it over time. It just adds to our frustrations. I'm going to add on one more uh, uh, brick ban, and that's to, I guess, uh, New South Wales to an extent, and particularly those people in the New South Wales government that basically encouraging a go slow on new renewables investment in that state. Uh, you know, they kind of uh, uh, march the minister out as the sort of acceptable front 
front page, but do very little in the, in reality. So I think that's a state that's lagging. That's exactly right. Um, except for one particular um, electorate, which is the New England electorate of Barney B. Joyce, the person who probably hates renewable energy more than anyone else, and he's got more of it in his own electorate than than anyone else. He's got the he's got about uh, th th three big wind farms and three big solar farms being built as we speak. And it's uh, touted as one of the prime renewable energy zones that the AEMO is hoping to develop. And speaking of developing, perhaps we should move on to look at the prospects for next year. 2018. Well, look, um, yes, well, look, what's on the top of it? I guess, I guess politics and policy. We've got a couple of key state elections coming up. Um, South Australia in March 17. Um, it doesn't look like the Liberals will get in, um, but it's not entirely clear that the Labor will get in without having Nick Xenophon on board. Yes, well... <laughs> I, what what I, do we I, make I, of that? Well, I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, I mean, Xenophon's uh, very popular. Um, I think in the end, South Australia has done very well this year in its electricity system, as we already spoke about a little bit. Uh, out of the disasters of last year has come a far more resilient uh, uh, grid in South Australia. And because of the high prices in Victoria, as I've already noted, Pelican Point is able to effectively run more or less as a baseload station. Uh, I've used that naughty term. Uh, naughty. And allow, allow the wind to be exported when, it's, when there's too much over to Victoria. And, and then they've got the um, um, uh, new generators come in uh, or installed and they've got the battery. And there's all these proposals for dispatchable renewables in South Australia, which will take years to develop, but they're, but they're on the... They're pretty firm. So I think South Australia is going to be an exciting place. But for all those people that are negative about it, they can still point to the fact that futures prices in South Australia right now uh, are higher than they are in other states. And the state with the... Uh, and again, the question is, what's going to happen to electricity prices? We should talk a little bit about that because at the end of the day, we love decarbonisation and renewables, and I always need to remind myself that people have to pay the bills every day, and they care about the prices, first, second and third. Well, yes, but I guess that's the message from AGL, and I guess that's the message from all these new technologies, like the big development over at Wyala, is that ultimately this will be a cheaper form of gener generation, because you can do wind, solar and storage, probably at a lower price than what you're paying now. Yes, I think that's right, and, and um, AGL has, has made it clear that, that they don't see any future in developing Liddell, but they are going to extend Bayswater by a little bit. Uh, and then the question is about the economics and how much... Uh, I, I expect 2018 is going to be the year of Snowy 2, in a sense, and the year where we start taking dispatchable renewables ever more seriously. And one other thing that we, we haven't mentioned much about behind the meter yet, because it's a fantastic year, but I, another negative for this year was we didn't really see anything happening on batteries uh, behind the meter. I, you know, the price didn't come down. Yeah, you know? well, one of the reasons for that was because of the Tesla big battery that was built in, built in South Australia at Hornsdale. Um, um, Tesla simply couldn't make them enough of them fast enough. It had to swap its um, sales from Panasonic to Samsung because Panasonic couldn't make them quickly enough. And that caused a big back um, log in orders for the Tesla Powerwall. So people were told they had to wait up to about four or five months. Now, I understand that backlog is reducing, so maybe that's going to sort of drive um, um, a bit more in the cost reductions as you, you get more things onto the market. But... Um, because electric cars and, and, and things is like chewing up so much of that battery capacity. I mean, I, we had Oracobra on this uh, podcast, the CEO, and I own Oracobra shares, and they're, <laughs> they're up 80%. So uh, there's a lithium shortage going on. And <clears throat> speaking as a shareholder, I hope it continues for a while. But 
Uh, that's probably a biased view, but I guess the point was this was also the year uh, when electric vehicles really came into focus with all those announcements in Europe about phasing out uh, oil-based vehicles by 2030. And, and I just saw overnight that Shenzhen uh, has 15,000 buses that they've converted to batteries. That's the entire bus fleet. Uh, this is going to be another big theme in 2018 and onwards. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's not going to be happening in Australia in 2018 because we're not going to get very many um, models or vehicles or products on the market here. But possibly by 2019 when the Tesla Model S 3, sorry, and the new Nissan Leaf and maybe some of the Renault and um, the Renault models and other things come into the market, that'll be a change. Well, the most read story on Renew Economy in the last year was an article that I wrote way back in March, and it was about autonomous vehicles and and, sh and and shared vehicles. And the basic, the headline was, by 2030, you may not own your car. Um, and, you, and you certainly won't be driving it because the autonomous, it got an enormous reaction. What was really interesting was that it got reposted on something called the Drudge Report, which is quite well known in America, basically one of those right-wing sort of um, pages. It, it website looks absolutely shocking, just a series of, um, a series of headlines. It must have got read by about 140,000 people, and a lot of them came from Trump's America, down south, and the basic message was, we had 2,000 comments on the story was, I've got a truck, I've got a gun, and you're not having either of them. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Wait, do we get? Well, you know, you talk about autonomous cars, but I think autonomous weapons are coming as well, <laughs> and they're going to love them on the Drudge Report. Well, you'll probably be able to use them with your sort of your. Is that is that what this sort of model plane flying is all about? Is it sort of getting used to no, this sort of autonomy and sort of like remote control? <laughs> It, it's not, but I mean, just to be, you know, in, in the spirit of it's not April the first, but I mean, little drones that run around uh, with with that can fire explosives or blow up when they hit you, uh, and could target you. I don't think that's a fanciful idea at all. But hey, we should probably stick to We should probably stick to electricity and gas and stuff that we're supposed to know a little bit about, shouldn't we? Well, I think we probably should. Yeah. Look, I guess in two thousand eighteen, we are going to see more of those storage facilities. You did talk about more of them in South Australia. Look, the pumped hydro ones are probably going to be coming in a couple of years. The Snowy Hydro feasibility report is going to be interesting. I do fancy it's going to be released over the holiday period so it doesn't get too much scrutiny because I think it's all going to be sort of, you know... Um, out of the money. Well, it's going to be out of the money, but they're going to be promoting it off with some very fancy videos and some serious-looking people in... Um, in, um, in, in Safety uh, vests and hard hats and, and, and Malcolm Turnbull in a helicopter. Exactly right, and isn't this a wonderful thing? But... Um, <laughs> We're not opposed to Snowy Hydro, I don't think, but we're just worried that unless it's sort of unless you get progressive policy, then all it's going to be doing is sort of shoving coal is using coal to um, coal-fired coal generation to shovel water uphill, and it will possibly crowd out the market. And more interestingly, it's going to put the federal government in charge of a utility and a retailer, and it will be di directly responsible for some of the pricing going on. Well, that's right. I mean, they'll have 18% uh, last time I looked of the household electricity customers in Victoria, for instance, and probably, I'm guessing now, about 10% of customers in New South Wales. Uh, and so, you know, they will have the ability to act. It's not completely clear that they'll always act in, just for profit. Uh, so I, I'm just going to leave that out there. Um, Snowy Hydro's economics, uh, it's still hard to see. I don't believe that as a uh, merchant plant, it's got any chance of stacking up at the moment. I mean, anyone who would build, put, sink a couple of billion dollars into a project that needs something like $80, uh, uh, a difference between the low and the high price of power every day for about four hours for 20 years. I mean, 
Don't ask me. That's all. I, and don't ask my bank because I'd have to sell the shares in it if, if they were going to lend to that. <laughs> so let's look at some of the things that we can look forward to. The Queensland government is back in. It's still got its 50% re- renewable energy target. It, had, it will have a 400 megawatt or 450 megawatt um, auction of renewables and storage. That'll happen early in the year. The Victorians have got their 650 megawatt renewable energy auction. The closing bids are coming in due in February. We'll know the results in mid-year. Hopefully be a bit more efficient than the battery storage um, auction, which is still not um, resolved or announced. It was supposed to be done in August, but is still left up in the air. So that certainly won't be put in place by January the 1st. Um, And we'll see a bit more about the Finkel report, unfortunately. Uh, Not the Finkel report, the NEG uh, report and I'm looking forward to more details on the AMO's. Um, uh, what are they calling it? The 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 the, the um, plan for the future, the integrated in, systems in, plan. Absolutely. Look, and I was just about to mention those two very same things. So right around about the same time, we're going to get the national energy guarantee and the outline or the details of that policy. And re- really, the crucial test of that's going to be: is it really going to just reinforce the power of the incumbents, or it's not? I think that's actually going to be the ultimate test in the end. Um, and, the, and this contracting thing, and I'm with you, um, we should be having reverse auctions because that's obviously the most effective and efficient and cost-friendly way of having new generation. But like you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to that EUMO report because it does actually dial in scientific approach to emissions, a realistic, a realistic assessment of the new technologies which are coming and can't be stopped, and the need to actually adapt the system to both and I'm, I'm pretty convinced that if we build, uh, identify some renewable energy zones and uh, strengthen the tra- or build some more transmission to them, whilst I appreciate that it's going to be difficult to, for that to make costs go down to consumers because electricity demand's not growing overall, grid, developed, uh, grid demand, and, and you're putting more investment into the system. But I am absolutely convinced that putting that transmission, those renewable energy zones, will uh, inspire entrepreneurs to build more PV and wind farms and we need a lot more to replace these coal-fired stations, partly because of carbon. Yes, all of that stuff's true. Partly because of price. Yes, all that stuff's true. But mainly because the coal stations are going to stop working fairly soon, you know. Yeah, well, look, um, um, I actually think that we've got to work a bit harder on price because the cost of solar and battery storage will come down. The economics will be more compelling for households and for businesses. And I thought it was really interesting what the New South Wales Task Force said, as well as the AEMO report said, just highlighted, and the Finkel report on storage just a couple of weeks ago also highlighted, was the potential to exploit that battery storage in behind the meter. So I think they're actually seriously looking at this issue because if they can actually find some way of connecting all that battery storage and using that as a grid service, then maybe then you can start flowing a bit more money back at the households and deflecting some of those bills in a more meaningful way which will then encourage them to actually stay on the grid rather than going off on their own because they're just too sick of all the shenanigans going on in the the general market. So we would like the uh, behind the meter and in front of the meter markets to cooperate. Behind the meter is you know now a six gigawatt uh, market pretty much and it's going to be seven and eight and nine gigawatts in a couple of years time. Uh, it needs to cooperate, not just always be competing. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think that we're now seeing that being recognised by at least the market operator and the fact that not only is it just recognised, you've actually got to do something proactive about it. Yes, but uh, don't uh, wait for that to come from the AEMC would be my message to you and your listeners uh, because I don't expect them to be leading the, leading the call. No, they're going to be kicking and screaming all the way through, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how that transpires. Um, politics, we've got an election by the end of the year. Um, one presumes. Um, 
I'm not too sure we're actually going to see that much development until we get a new government. I think this will be a year of federal policy sitting still. Another sort of very negative thing today or was the review of the carbon policy, one of the many reports that was out yesterday federally where they're proposing to allow international carbon credits. I mean, when you read that, you understand that the federal government is just not serious because that is a scam, first, second and third. That's all there is. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And there's also the, um, the, the chapter on the uh, vehicle emissions. Um, remember in Australia, we, we talked about EVs before. In Australia, we don't actually have any sort of standards on vehicles. And this own report said you could actually save consumers $500 a year and some astronomical figure over a long period of time, $14 billion. But we've been sitting on this idea. We've known this for about four or five years. We still haven't done anything about it. And it was really interesting. I was down in a conference in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago and um, Josh Frydenberg was asked about this. He was asked about energy efficiency for, um, for vehicles and demand management and he, and he actually pointed around and said, well, you saw the reaction in the Daily Telegraph, the Telemirror, when they sort of said, oh, the lights are going to go out, they're switching off our air conditioning. These guys sound like they're too scared of the murdered media to do anything that they know is sensible. Look, I, I think it's time for the Labor government opposition federally to put up its hand on vehicle policy and I th I've long called for state governments and city mayors to do something for electric vehicle policy. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, we can blame the federal government all we like, but there's a lot of room for other tiers, other, other decision makers to actually incentivise electric vehicles. I've said several times that simply allowing parking incentives in capital cities uh, would be a, a, a huge way and wouldn't cost the cities anything in the sense other than making the roads maybe a bit more congested, but it wouldn't do that because you'd just be replacing petrol cars with electric ones. And, and, and there's lots of people that would buy an electric, as Norway has showed, that would buy an electric vehicle simply to be able to park in the city. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Look, David, it's been a great year of podcasts. And I look forward to another year of podcasts in um, 2018. And, you know, Giles, I mean... We should be careful about always wanting interesting years because sometimes they're very dangerous years. But, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun this year. I've really enjoyed making these podcasts with you. And I, I would like to wish all of our listeners uh, a very uh, happy and prosperous uh, 2018. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank our sponsors once again, um, at Solaray Energy and What Watchers. I'd like to thank all the people who've given, our given their feedback. It's been quite gratifying to turn up at conferences and other places and hear people coming up and saying, oh, love your podcast. Absolutely fantastic. Get a lot out of it. Um, I'd like to thank Anne, who's been editing it and putting it together and being very, very patient with the technology, which has not always been easy. Three cheers for Anne Delaney, our producer. Thank you very much. And... Um... <laughs> And um, also thanks to all our listeners, and we look forward to be back. We'll be taking a bit of a break. Um, I think um, David's going model plane flying, and I'm going surfing, and um, we'll talk again at the end of January. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs, accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.